Good morning, Grace Church. Uh, it's great to see the people on the screen. Great to sing. Thanks, Alex. Um, man, I needed that this morning. I needed it because I'm frustrated with our text this week. Um, but to be honest, I'm frustrated with a lot of things these days. Am I, am I the only one who's frustrated with a lot of things these days? Um, but with this text in particular, I'm frustrated that we have all these details. Now, that's a weird thing for someone like me who really digs into the biblical text a lot. That's a really weird thing for me to say. But I'm frustrated with all these details when there seems to be so few details about other things. Like, this, this story takes up a whole lot of real estate. We started this discussion with Paul going back to Jerusalem way back in chapter 21. I mean, it continues for five whole chapters. That is a lot of ink. And when I think about that, I think, man, I would love to even have one chapter on Jesus' childhood or maybe, maybe another whole chapter on John the Baptist in, in his development. How about, how about a whole nother chapter with Jesus meeting with the disciples in the upper room the, with the Holy Spirit coming down? Or when he breaks, when he walks through in, on the walk to Emmaus, like I want more information there and I don't get it. And then we get all this information here. I mean, look, there's a lot in here, right? There's back and forth and there's political intrigue and there's murder plots and there's, there's these things, but still, why so much here and why not more other places? But I, I wonder, honestly, if Paul's not frustrated too. And maybe, maybe that's the point. You see, he already got the promise from God, from the angel who stood next to him way back in chapter 23 and said, you're going to be my witness. You're going to give your testimony in Rome. So Paul had an indication. He had a strong word of the Lord, what was going to happen. But then it stalls. And it stalls for over two years. It stalls. You know, one pro council keeps him locked up trying to get a bribe. The next one keeps him locked up trying to do a favor to the people there. Like, surely he had intense times of frustration, maybe even doubt. What was God revealing in him, to him, through him during this time? Well, what about us? What about this pause that we're in? Even though I don't like that term, I've heard this whole thing called the great pause. It doesn't work, but it. But you, everybody knows what I'm talking about, this time of waiting, this time of not being able to plan, this, not, this time of, of knowing in a way what we're supposed to be doing, but, but not knowing how we're going to get there. How are we going to do that? What about us? What happens when our plans and hopes and expectations are put on indefinite hold, no end in sight. What can we learn about this? Well, let's dig in this week and see what we can find. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for gathering us here virtually in our homes, together with our family. We need your word. We need your sustaining word, your encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Speak to us now individually, collectively. Teach us what the purpose is in this pause. 
We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to invite you now. Stacy's got the, the text um, for you to read, read out loud. Maybe if you're in a group, you can read that together, uh, taking turns. But let's, uh, let's read the text, and then we'll come back and make some comments on it. So as we said earlier, we're looking at this continuing um, episode in Paul's life when he's back in Jerusalem. This is coming, but it's coming to an end. We're going we're gonna to see some movement in the next chapter. Um, Paul is on pause here, paused after so many years of going, right? Like we've been plowing through acts and trips and journeys and back and forth. And, and now he's, he's in this place of pause. And for the most part, he seems relatively alone. We know earlier, we read that, that the pro-councils were allowing his friends to minister to his needs, but, but I, you have to imagine that Paul was spending a lot of time alone here thinking. And I, and I got to thinking, was this necessary? Why was it necessary? Why was it necessary after all this for Paul to be paused when ultimately he already knew where he was going to go? He had the promise of the angel that he was going to go to Rome to do these things. Well, Sometimes pause, there is a purpose in the pause. Sometimes they are necessary with that. And they can come in a lot of forms. Um, They can come in the form of a pandemic, which we're all experiencing right now, where we're all on pause together. This is a relatively unique situation. More often they're personal or they're localized. Uh, Maybe an illness will put your life on pause or the loss of a job or the change in a relationship will put your life on pause. But these pauses happen. So what is the purpose here? What is, what is going on? Well, let's, let's look at, let's look at maybe how Paul sees it. So the interesting thing here is when Paul uses his, plays his Roman citizenship card when he appeals to Caesar. Um, There's a lot of ways we could look at this. One is that Paul very intentionally held on to that for the right time to use it. Another is that he simply did it out of frustration. He was just tired of waiting. Like he knew where he was supposed to go. He was tired of waiting. He saw that the the wrangling between the Sanhedrin and the, and the Roman government was just never going to come to a satisfactory end. So he said, I'm, I'm out. I'm playing the I appeal to Caesar card. Uh, this, was, this was a right that every Roman citizen had to have their court, their case heard by Caesar. Some people think, though, that it, he wasn't even intending to do that, that when he was said, I appeal to Caesar, he was basically saying, hey, Felix, man, look, you decide. I'm not going back to Jerusalem. I'm not putting myself in front of the Sanhedrin again. When I said when he was appealing to Caesar, he's basically saying, this is your decision. You need to make you need to make the decision. Let me go or, or hang me, whatever you want to do, but you make the decision. Well, whatever the motivation was, we see how it worked out. Felix all of a sudden found this. He's like, hey, I, can, I got my out here. I don't have to deal with this anymore. In, in a way, he could wash his hands of it, send Paul off to Rome, tell the Sanhedrin, hey, I couldn't do anything about it because of legal obligations. He sends them off. Well, what was Paul learning during this time before he plays this? What was he learning? Well, you have to imagine, one, that he learned sometimes God miraculously delivers. 
And sometimes God doesn't. I mean, if we read Acts, right, it's real easy to be fascinated with all the miraculous deliverances, earthquakes that open jail doors and angels that come let people out, right? These things happened. And Paul has experienced them firsthand before. Do you ever wonder that he was sitting there like, wonder when the earthquake's going to show up? wonder when the angel's going to come, take the shackles off, open the doors again. Well, uh, one of the things in the pause that he was learning is that we're, we're not in control. We don't get to dictate the terms to God. And just because God acted one way in the past doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be the same thing that happens in the future. I think all of us who have walked with Jesus for any length of time realize that there have been times when, yes, it has just been almost miraculous, if not actually miraculous, that God does something, steps in, makes a way, like just blows open the doors and we just walk through basically no effort of our own. But then there are other times where it just, it's a solid granite wall. There is no door. There's no crack. It's just just a wall. It's a dead end. So I think maybe Paul was learning that during this time. Really learning in this pause after all the years of going, learning that he wasn't the hero of the story. He didn't have God figured out. He didn't have God in the box. God still had a lot to teach him with that. And sometimes all you can do is wait and pray. Sometimes all you can do is just stay faithful, even when you don't see a good outcome, even when you don't see a way that it's going to happen. You wait and you pray in that. The same token, I think sometimes it's like, hey, uh, we got to take a risk here. Maybe after all those months and months that turned into years waiting for Paul, he finally said, it's time to take a chance. I'm going to play the Roman card. I'm going to play the citizenship card. I'm going to play the appeal to Caesar card and just hope that it works out. I mean, he could have easily just waited some more. If that had been the only way, if that had been the only lesson, then maybe he was wrong to use that. Or maybe he was also learning that just as much in the pause, we need to wait and pray. Sometimes we need to take action. Sometimes we need to take risks. Sometimes we need to to use whatever we have and just put it on the line and roll the dice and go with it and see what happens. I think those were maybe some of the things Paul was learning here, but what about us? What about about specifically during our pause, during our time where we are seeing so many things um, shaken for us? Well, I don't know about y'all, but I'll tell you a few of the things that I've been contemplating. Um, It's the need to be more resilient by myself, alone. Anybody else out there? You know, it was really convenient for me to say, uh, oh, man, I wish I had more time. You know, that stack of books that I have to read or want to read. If I just had more time, well, I got time now. That stack's not getting any shorter. Uh, or I'll do that. I'll I'll fix that thing up around the house, or I'll I'll write this thing, or I'll do this. And now the excuse is taken away, and I'm learning that maybe I'm not as resilient as I thought. Maybe it's not. Um, maybe I'm not as disciplined as I thought with that. 
And so I'm learning. It's humbling to learn uh, through this pause what it is. I need to take more seriously my personal disciplines and practice. I mean, that's my bread and butter. That's one of the things I, I teach others. I speak on regularly. And, and I've been, I have been humbled by um, not having those external things to keep those things motivated. But I've also been learning how, how what I've been saying about them is true, how essential they are, those personal disciplines. We're talking about really emphasizing those and talking more about that in the fall, delivering that. Um, but also I've been learning how much we need each other. Um, I desperately long to gather again. And, and there's been a lot of writing out there. Well, maybe this is a new way we're going to do church. We'll all be separated. And I'm like, no, I think this is what this is teaching us is we really need to be together. Like that gathering is essential. Now it may not be as often, it may look different, but still we're not giving up on gathering. As a matter of fact, I think we're learning just how essential that is. And when the time comes, when it's appropriate, when it's safe, um, or safer, as safe as, as you know, possible with that, um, I think it's going to be really sweet. And I think we're going we're gonna to get a new vision for how essential that is. Um, and then I think the last thing is we're not here for our own sake. We're here for the sake of each other. If we look at, if we look at how this pause is affecting different people, we look at the disproportionate weight of how, how it really is falling so hard. The burden is, is being carried by the most vulnerable in our society, the, the, the ones that have the least resources. We start to see, man, maybe this thing is not just all about me. Maybe this life is meant that I'm supposed to use what I have for others so that, so that I really am here to help others. I, I think that's one of the things we're coming out of the pause is realizing just how interconnected we are and how those of us with this wealth, this power, this privilege, you know, who, who are able to endure things like this with just maybe just discomfort, but not real suffering, um, that that's not true of most people. And that when times are good, we need to pay more attention to that. Starting now, we need to pay more attention, but carrying through as things change. Well, I don't know what you're learning. I'd love to know. I'd love to hear what you're learning during this. Um, that's one of our questions this week for your, for your individual reflection and for your small group discussions. Um, I'd love you to text me, email me. I, I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you're learning with this. But I also want to end with this encouragement that Paul's witness ultimately is one of faithfulness, not perfection. Like it's, it's easy to make Paul a saint in the way to say, well, oh, every single thing he did was intentional and on purpose and the guidance. And yeah, no, no. I, the more I read this, the more I think Paul is, he is grappling with the same issues we are. He's grappling with the same questions, the same doubt, the same, you know, how, do, how does this happen? How does God work? But he is a saint because he was faithful. Not because he was perfect, because he was faithful. Now, that's something we can emulate. We can't emulate perfection, but we can emulate faithfulness. So I want to encourage you as you ask these questions, what are you learning? And, and, you, and you grapple with the things. Set your sight on faithfulness, not on perfection. Not on getting it right necessarily, but more on being faithful 
to where you are with who you are with what you have and focus on others. How can you use that faithfulness for others? Of course, ultimately, that's the example we have in Jesus. If you want to gather your communion elements, Jesus on that last night that he was with his disciples, he didn't give them one more platitude. He didn't give them a test. He said, no, he gave them an example. He said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Given, he revealed himself to be the way, the truth, and the life in a, in a very unique way, in a participatory way that we take. Likewise, when he said, this is my blood poured out as sign of the new covenant, we take and we eat and we drink these things as a way of participating in Christ faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully. So take and eat and drink Likewise, during this time, we reflect. As Alex continues to lead us in worship after this, what do you need to do on this? How do you need to, what do you need to do with it? I hope this is not just more information, but you need to, you need to act on it. So write it down, tell somebody, make a Facebook post, what you're going to do, but some way, some way motivate yourself to act on it. And then lastly, we give our offering. Thank you to everyone who responded. You know, I, I, it's hard to ask during these times, but you know, our expenses go on. Yeah, yeah, everybody knows that, even though we're not meeting. So thank you for everyone who has responded and continues to respond um, to make all this possible. Um, we give because it's a sign that all of us have something to give. Every one of us has something to give. give and none of us is without need. We all have needs. And that's the economy of the kingdom of God. So thank you for being part of this. Thank you for gathering here. And uh, grace and peace, y'all.